Welcome to Poetry Theater, a Femme On collective show featuring dispatches from the intersection of poetry and theater. I'm your MC, Ada McCartney. Teamwork makes the dream work. This show is a labor of love. It exists because of Rhea Kerrigan, Tanya Todd, Allison Shelton, and Jess B. Davies, my partners in the Femme On Collective. All our show offerings are available at femon.show and wherever you get your podcasts. For Femon updates and a choice selection of podcast news, sign up for the Pop Culture Collective newsletter linked in the show notes. Your engagement helps us thrive. Comment, download, subscribe, and share. As we head into episode four, I'd like to say thank you to Amy Bobeda, interviewed in our first episode of Poetry Theater, for suggesting this conversation with Helen D. and for introducing us. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode four of Poetry Theater. I'm your host, Ada McCartney, and I'm delighted to bring you this episode today. Um, with Helen, who I'm just meeting for the first time, and I have uh, become enamored with her Mythological Africans project. It's gotten me back on Twitter after having given up Twitter. So Helen, hi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ada. It's a pleasure to be here. And I am really, really glad to hear that you, you love Mythological Africans, although I don't know that getting back on Twitter is a good thing. But if you see it as a good thing, then I will take it as a good thing. Um, so what's news in your world today, Helen? What are, do you want to, do you want to start there? Do you want to start with, uh, with talking a little bit about yourself and about the project? What feels sure, better? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so my name is Helen Day and I live in Atlanta, Georgia now, but I'm originally from Cameroon, which is a West Central African country. I'm born and raised there and I moved to the U.S. when I was about 21, so have quite a bit of immersion in you know my Cameroonian culture but also in US culture and that really is the 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 grounds from which I do the work I do now which is mythological Africans. Um, it is a platform on Twitter. It has a YouTube page, it has a blog. Um, and what I do is explore mythology, folklore and culture from different parts of the African continent with a, a heavy focus on mythology and folklore. Um, the stories, the oral culture and oral literature and all of that and of course the the culture is you know the, the the people the ideas out of which these stories come and so that is what i spend most of my time doing these days um it's writing it's research it's art it's music it's uh sculpture it's remembrance it's anticipation of what the future might be and it's understanding the present so yeah that's 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 in a nutshell that's beautiful is there i'm wondering are you working my understanding is that you're working kind of primarily in english with some original language text and original language pieces but that your work is primarily in english are you finding that you're kind of pioneering this work or you're pioneering is a horrible word but like are you working are you are there a lot of people that you know of also doing this work or are you sort of starting starting it here and and making it making waves in something new because i've never i've not heard a lot about 
projects like this myself? You know, I I don't think that I'm the only one doing this or that I'm the only one. I, I started this in any way. Um, there are multiple platforms and individuals on Twitter and Tumblr and um, Pinterest and everywhere who are talking about African people, African cultures, African stories. Um, and what tends to happen is that you have people from within a specific culture talking about the stories and art and music um, and you know cultural artifacts that come out from those people. What I think I do, which um, might be might be unique, is that I try to bring it all together. So it's bringing the stories from different people, seeing how they connect with each other, not just on the African continent, but with uh, stories from other parts of the world. And that is a that is a driving um, impulse. That's a, a big motivation for me, because I I truly believe that if we focus on the stories that we have told each other in the past, we start to see the common threads that bind us together. When you take a long wide perspective, the myths, the folklore, the stories, the themes, it's the same human experience. It's the same loves and wars and battles and betrayals and and hopes and dreams. So that I think if, if I offer anything unique, that's what I do, which is um, weave these stories together, connect them together across the African continent, across the world, and um, just that heavy emphasis on we are, we are the same people, and it really, really boils down to it, even in our diversity. And most of my work is in English, um, mainly because that's the, the main language I, I speak and the language I was educated in and the language in which um, the resources that I have access to um, are. Mm. And that's, that's uh, it's an advantage, but also a disadvantage because the, the bulk of stories and cultures are in the original languages. Um, there's a lot that has been translated into English, um, documented in English or French, but that process of translation and documentation, um, things get lost in translation there. So it's, um, it's an advantage and a disadvantage because then um, because I speak English and I speak French, I can get into different research archives and get access to a lot, but there's still a lot that I don't have access to because I don't speak Swahili, I don't speak Yoruba, I don't speak um, Zulu or you know any of the other major African languages in which many of these stories and songs and poems are documented in. Um, I do try as much as I can to weave these original language accounts into my work. It's it's difficult because you know it means finding someone who not only speaks the language but has subject matter expertise and people are pulled in multiple directions with many priorities. But when when I do get when I do get the chance to do that, um, I I do. And uh, when we do get to talking about my book, I'll talk a bit more about that because that that was the main main part of it for me. Uh, yeah, I I'm so curious. It sounds like a an incredible collaborative effort, um, sort of facilitated and headed up by you. But I'm curious to start. Um, so this is the current iteration of your of your life's work and and the project. But what's your poetry origin story? What's your mythology? How did you come to this work? All right. Um, I so the poetry origin story question. I love it for many reasons because it it took me to a happy place as a child. And my poetry origin story um, is the day my mom called me 
and she said, come here and listen to something really cool. And then she read We Real Cool by Gwendolyn Brooks, I believe. And my mom uh, taught English language and English literature for a very long time. So that's the world I grew up in, but more so uh, European and American literature and poetry than African literature and poetry. Um, but that's that's my origin story, that her growing up in that world, surrounded by those books, and that one day when she read that poem, because you could just by the way she read the poem and the way her body moved, you know, we real cool, we jazz June, we die soon, and you know, and then when she finished reading, she gave me this look with this huge smile on her face, like, isn't this the coolest thing you've ever heard? <laughs> you know, and I was sitting there listening with her and, you know, the, the, the rhythm kind of, you know, I went, I went with it. And I, I realized, as I was thinking about this, that when, when I am writing poetry, especially when I'm doing, you know, um, um, metered verse, I move my body, <laughs> you know, because mm. I'm trying to see if you know, the rhythm is going with it, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever meter it's in, you know, I, my body moves with it. And I thought that that's really interesting because that, that memory of my mom reading the book, you know, and moving with it, it's seared, seared in my mind. Um, so that's, that, that point I can say is my poetry origin story. That's where my love for poetry came out, but also just finding that when, um, I am moved by strong emotion for better or worse. Um, poetry is one of the ways in which I, I, I get those out the best. Um, it, it, it gives me a, a container to pour these things into. So for as long as I can remember, I've been writing things down here and there, whether it's just one line or, you know, just an outpouring of thoughts. Um, uh, yeah. So, that's that's my poetry origin story. Mm, mom reading Gwendolyn Brooks. I'm picturing your mom as this like the high school English teacher that makes everybody love literature who doesn't who doesn't love literature. That would be pretty accurate <laughs> because I've actually had uh, one of her students who was my classmate at college at university come up to me and say your mom is fantastic and I love words because of her and I have never felt prouder. <laughs> <laughs> prouder to be her daughter than in that moment because he he is a journalist now he's when i was in journalism school he's a journalist now and he really does love words you know and he loves to write and he, he he's an excellent broadcaster and to feel that my mom had a part in 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 crafting that in creating in sewing into that it makes me feel very good she was absolutely that teacher definitely i'm mm. um, so that's I hope that your mom will hear you tell this story. Uh, can hear you. Tell I will this send story. her a recording. Actually, <laughs> I will send her a recording. She'll she'll get a kick out of it. Does she know that she's your your poetry origin story in that moment? I, I believe she knows that I write because of her. She and she takes a lot of pride in that, as she rightfully should. Um, mm. She knows that I love to read because of her. So she she definitely knows that my love for words. Um, and how you can weave them together come from her. And I dedicate my book primarily to her for the gift of words because it, it really is all her. It really is. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. Um, so 
mom is your your origin and your original inspiration what's inspiring you today in this moment in as you're as you're moving through the the days and the weeks right now what's your what's your current inspiration right here right now um i i am working on a collection a poetry collection so that's the project i am hoping to move on to or to keep me busy as I wrap up things with with my recently published books. And it is a collection of poems that I have written over the last, I would say, concentrated over the last three years, but also spread out over the last decade, I would say. And um, it's up to quite possibly over 300 of them now, which I am sorting out you know, into categories and trying to weave into a coherent um, collection of poems. And um, these are things I randomly tossed out on Twitter, as we would do sometimes, that place being what it is. Um, but also poems from my old blogs, things I scribbled down in my journals, um, things I'm still writing down now in my notes app, which is what really the first place I go to when words start running around in my head and want to come out in a certain way. So um, these are mostly just reflections on, my God, <sighs> madness, inspiration that comes from that, obsessions, confusions, <laughs> disillusions, and all the 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 frustrations that that will arise as you make sense of your life as as a, as a woman as you know uh, uh, an african as an immigrant as a believer who you know wants to believe in something real in the human experience and um it's it's been a lot you know i, I read some of the poems and i'm just thinking wow you were going through it weren't you <laughs> So that's 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 what I'm working on right now. But also just wanting to get um, the book I just wrote, The Runaway Princess, out into the world. And I see a kitty hello friend behind me. Oh, Buster Button. Hey, hi, kitty. <laughs> I'm surprised. One of mine, I'm surprised one of mine haven't made an appearance yet. They they are very familiar with when I am on Zoom and they will they will show up. So. And I have a couple of poems about my cats as well. <laughs> so you have to. The cat the cats are the inspiration. I have to stand up and open the door before she uh makes a hole under it. Um, but uh it sounds like you're you're really letting the past you past you and your your poems and musings inspire the work at present. And I think that's so powerful because I think a lot of times when I think or think of inspiration, I want to go outside of myself. And I'm reminded as you're talking about the the powerful inspiration that can bubble up from this like garden of self. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's interesting you say that because uh, a bulk, I would probably say maybe a quarter or a third or maybe even half of the poems in this collection came out of the last three years which as you know are the year the pandemic years and, and um at the just at the start of the pandemic i um separated from 
person I was with and suddenly went from being in a house with someone else to being by myself. And with the pandemic being what it was, I wasn't you know, seeing a lot of family. I wasn't socializing a lot. So it was a lot of, a lot, it was just a lot of time me in my head. And it was also a period of great emotional turmoil. So many, 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 many of these poems come from exactly that, that place you said, that, that garden of self, you know, from when it was a ravaged landscape, you know, rotting leaves and, you know, cracked, scorched earth with nothing possible, not which nothing could possibly grow from. And, you know, my efforts to, to till it and, 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 and mix it with fertile, you know, manure from the rotting carcass of the life I was living at the time, and, you know, pouring water on it and begging, begging the soil to, to, to come up with something. And, and I, I want to think it finally did. I want to think it finally did. Um, I would say it has. I would say it has. And I am deeply grateful for that. If you were to... What is there a particular season that you could associate that that state of the internal garden of inspiration with right now? It sounds maybe like a summer blossoming or sprouting phase. Is it? I would I would say it is a summer. For sure, it is a summer um, with sometimes just the perfect balmy day, not too hot, not too not too humid, not too you know dry. There's the perfect conditions to sit out there and soak in the goodness. And in some days, it is just the scorching heat, which I'm sure in Tempe, Arizona, you're familiar with, the kind that would fry an egg on the pavement, you know, just, what is this? I want out of this this kitchen. This is too hot. And in some days, it's that, that thick, thick humidity that you could cut with a knife. And those are some of my favorite days because it, it feels, you know, especially for someone who, who is... A touch person it feels like this comfort that you can just wrap around you and go into and then it can get oppressive sometimes you know um so definitely definitely a summer because no matter what is happening there is there is a lot of color there is a lot of, of joy you know even with the frustrations the scorching heats and the the the, the, the disorientation from heat stroke as you might say um, <laughs> There is there is still a lot of joy. The the sun is out and when the sun is out it is my favorite time. Even if it's mm. the winter, if the sun is out then yeah. Yeah. So but it's summer. I would say it's definitely a summer. Oh, I love that. May the sun keep shining on that garden and stay May hydrated. The sun shining on that garden and stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> um so let's talk about the the book that's just come out. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the evolution. So, so what is the this this book, and um, and how has it evolved to what what has just been published in the world? So, the book is titled "The Runaway Princess and Other Stories," and it is a collection of short stories and poems, um, twenty of them, and they are about. Uh, women and girls from African mythology and folklore. And this work came out of my own reflections on what and who I am you know, as a being occupying space in the world because um, we, are, we are stories, right? Our individual stories, the stories of the, the 
people and cultures out of which we come, the story of our encounter with the world that we are in, the times we are born into. And what, what I found was that I, I had a sense of my story as a Cameroonian, you know, and Cameroon as a country is, is a relic, a colonial relic. So it, it has its own story, its own mythology, its own folklore. But underneath all of that is the, the story of the people who comprise this country called Cameroon, the different um, nations and, and villages and, and, and ethnic groups that comprise all of this. And those, what, what I came to find was that the story of my own people within that, that context, I, I wasn't too familiar with. Um, and this really was put in stark relief after I moved to the US and you know, there is a way in which being an immigrant forces you to look at yourself through the eyes of another. And I, I kept thinking, you know, what, what do people see? And is this me? And that yeah. led me into mythological Africans to begin with. But as I did mythological Africans, examining myths and folklore from different African peoples, I gravitated towards the stories of girls and women, because you, know, you, you look at the stories you take in as a woman to inform your sense of who you are. There is myth and folklore from Europe, from India, from China, from you know all over the world, and there are just as many rich and complex stories about women and girls from the African continent. And I knew some, but not nearly enough. And as I looked at the media and literary landscape around me, um, there, there, there are, there are, they are out there, but not nearly enough. So I, I, the book is my effort to, to offer something but to do it in in a different way so if you're familiar with mythology and folklore there's the narrative the story this happened and then that happened but there's not so much uh there's not a whole lot of interiority examining people's motives and and um thoughts and feelings and why they do the things and how they felt about the things they did so a huge part of this book is looking at that so um, the, the titular character, uh, Yenenga, is the runaway princess, and she is a legendary historical, mythological type figure from the Dagomba and Mossi people. The Dagomba people are found in Ghana, and the Mossi people are found in Burkina Faso. And Yenenga is considered the founding mother of the Mossi people. But Yenenga's story is that she was the daughter of a Dagomba king who um, was a prolific warrior, you know, Achilles level, you know, military strategist, just so good at what she did. Her father didn't want her to marry. He wanted her to remain a captain, a general in his army, which if you look at the Dagomba culture, that's you know, major because a woman's ability to birth a child is considered something really good. It's the way ancestors come back. So her father did not want her to marry. And so in, in some versions of the story, she, she runs away. Um, sometimes with the help of a couple of men in her in her military contingent and she meets a hunter in the forest and they have a child and this child is the founder of the Mossi kingdom, the, Burkina, the people of Burkina Faso. So there are different variations to this story and she's connected with other people. Um, but my take on it was what was going through this woman's head? You know, what, what, why, why was having a child so important to her? Um, and so I wove in aspects of Dagomba culture, you know, what, what might be driving these, these um, um, impulses within her to, to tell a story. And I, I hope I did justice to it. 
readers will have to tell me when 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 they think when they read it. Um, but that's that's the that's the approach I take. So exploring the inner worlds of these women and um, trying to do it in a way that is uh, reflective of the culture and the times in which they live. So it's not too much of me projecting my modern sensibilities back then. Although I I don't think that that is escapable in a sense. Um, but but that's that's really what the book is about. So different girls and women from African mythology and folklore. Um, but um, a couple of the stories are original. So Yenenga's story, for example, is based on her on her legend. Um, but a lot of the characterizations and the stories um, that's original work that I do. And a couple of other stories in the book are based on existing cultures and peoples, but are original stories. Meanwhile, others are based on known folk, uh, folk, uh, folk stories, known legends, known myths. Um, uh, uh, the story of Kahindo, for example, is uh, Kahindo is a goddess in the mythology of the Nyanga people, and the Nyanga people are found in present-day Democratic Republic of Congo. And she is a daughter of Muisa, who is the god of the underworld, but she is the goddess of good fortune. And her story is a, a small piece in the window epic, which is a, a you know big Odysseus type epic about Window, who is a child of a chief, and because his father didn't want a son, tries to kill him. And the, the story is the story of Window trying to get revenge on his father. And Window is a is a magical being, so it's this you know fantastical battles and you know all these things going on. But there is a there's a part in that story where Window chases his father into the underworld, um, where his father is being protected by Muisa, Kahindo's father, and Kahindo helps Window to escape her father's traps um, and navigate the underworld, since he didn't really know what how the rules of the game down there, and. There is a suggestion that they have a relationship and um in the end her father you know says hey marry my daughter take her with you as a as a gesture of my respect and window says no so <laughs> yeah so in, in in my story i'm thinking what is this woman thinking you know how how did she feel about all of this you know and what's even more interesting is that she's a goddess of good fortune but she is covered in yours. And um, I don't know if you know what yours is. Yours is a bacterial infection. It is is horrifying because you, you erupt in these boils and pustules all over your body. And if so she's not, in the underworld suffering from this bacterial infection. Ostensibly, the man that she wants to marry rejects her. And yet right. she's the goddess of good fortune. Good fortune, exactly. So these, these are the contradictions in Kahindo's story. And um, um, Mwindo, after she helps him, heals her of her disease. So at the point when he's rejecting her, she's healed, she's beautiful, she's whole, she's perfect, you know, and yet he rejects her because he can't marry someone from the underworld. So in, in, I'm, I mean, as, as a woman now, I'm thinking, wow, this girl went through it. <laughs> So, so what is her story? And my, my, my effort there was to present her not as a character to be pitied, you know, but as a woman who had her own plans, who had her own trajectory and, you know, window came along and contributed something to it, but it didn't, you know, necessarily divert her from what she was going to do anyway. You know, he basically helped her and then, you know, 
made his choice and his choice was his choice. So that's that's another dynamic I explore. And the, the, the book is not, um, you know, one, it's not a children's book, for sure. It's absolutely not a children's book. And I've had to tell a couple of people these because it's, it's the, there are illustrations in it. And um, it's funny how people think that myths and illustrations equal children. Yeah, no, it is not a children's <laughs> book. It's not a children's book. Um, it's tragic. There is a uh, horror and flesh eating monsters and, you know, a lot of suffering sometimes for children. Um, it's, it's, I'm very proud of it, I will say. Um, I think it explores the, the, it runs the gamut of what, you know, womanhood in mythology and folklore from the continent um, has to offer. And yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly fortunate to have been able to, to put it together, to work on it, to work with the people I worked with. Um, the, the illustrators were fantastic. The art is just, it's beautiful. Um, and I worked with a couple of editors and sensitivity leaders to, to check you know, certain things, certain cultures, the language and all of that. Um, and I also, um, since we talked about language, I was able to get one poem translated into the, the original language um, of the, the people out of which the story come. And this this one is important because the this, the poem is from the Ibiobio people who are found in Nigeria. And the Ibiobio people have, I mean, people on the African continent in general have a very strong poetic culture. But the Ibiobio people in particular, I found, um, have a beautiful musical and poetic culture, especially when it has to do with their water spirits. So the Ibiobio people are riverine people. So they, they live in the coastal part of Nigeria that has a lot of uh, deltas. So a lot of their, their culture and folklore is influenced by their, their contact with these rivers and the seas. So they have a lot of water spirits and the female water spirits are known and beloved even till today. And there's music, folk music, and, and you know, just a lot. And in, in this story, it's a story of two co-wives who have an encounter with a water spirit and you know, it evolves as it, as it evolves. But because of that, it, I felt you know, if, if there was one story in this book that I would want to see in its original language, it would be this one. And I was able to find um, someone, an Ibiobium uh, man, um, Edison Ubong, and he translated this whole poem um, from English to Ibiobio. So it's it's in the book. And um, hopefully I will, well, not hopefully, I intend to, on the book's project website, eventually have a, a recording of this poem made available. So I that if, if I'm very, very proud of that one piece of this work in particular, because I feel this story, for example, the I read about it in, um, in an, uh, a book written by an English ethnographer. And so this was a story that came to me by way of a British person who collected these stories, you know, and there's that whole historical <laughs> mess around all of that. Probably and, a man. Perhaps definitely a man. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I hope, you know, I will not be presumptuous enough to say it is, I hope that by telling the story and having it translated into the original language. It's a way of offering something back to the Ibiobio people to say, hey, I am honored to have touched this story and I wanted to make sure that you got it back in in a way that you can you can hold it and really feel that it belongs to you. 
So I, I, I think that I, I am most proud of that one aspect of the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I have just gotten goosebumps on my arms as you're talking about the story coming full circle and being returned to where it comes from. And I'm just reminded by this um, and your approach to the mythology from an, a standpoint of interiority and um, and womanness how powerful the speculative imagining is. Um, when we think about mythology, I think that the stereotype, the tendency is it's, a, it's history, it's old stuff that's happened in the past, but you're enlivening it and not only bringing it into the present moment, but imagining forward into kind of a speculative possible future mythology. Um, and that seems pretty revolutionary and incredible to me. Um, was this in the forefront of your mind as was this in your mind at all as you're as you're working on the project? I know you mentioned a little bit of the speculative aspects um, a few minutes ago. It, it definitely was because I, especially with a lot of my work being on the internet, you know, I, I have this visual image quite often of 200 years from now, 300 years from now, some woman or girl of African descent, whatever that will look like um, at that time, whatever that will mean, you know, stumbling into this cache of writings and thoughts and, you know, things on the internet about different African people, then there will be a lot, I am sure. There will be a lot. But I, I have this 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 image of her thinking, oh wow, this is different. You know, the way we have, you know, PhD students going to the archives and finding the writings of some writer of some time, you know, not a big name necessarily, but who who contributed something. And that that image I had that popped in my head probably like what, 20 15, 2016, 2014. And that has been an enduring image um, as, I, as I do my work to say, hey, it might not make the big splash right now, but I am leaving something in the record for historic, for, for people in the future to, to look at, to, to a way that, you know, an African woman moves through the world, a Cameroonian woman moved through the world, a woman from the Bafanji people moved through the world and looked at her world and processed her world and processed the stories. Um, so they, the, the stories are looking back, retelling, but hoping that someone in the future, someone in the present, someone in the future will, will be able to pull something out of it, will be able to see the world in a different way, in a new way, hopefully, um, from, from coming in coming in contact with these stories. That is, that is the hope. That is the May it be so. <laughs> Thank you. May it be so. Um, would you like to share something from the book with us? Is there a section you would be interested in reading here on Poetry Theater? Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, in, so the book is divided into two sections, prose and poetry. Um, but even in the prose section, you will find little snippets of of poems that uh, that are sung or you know, spoken by 
by by by different characters and one of the one of them is a little song that is uh sung by a character called Sheppy and in Sheppy's story she is um she is a foundling so her her mother the woman who finds her is childless desperately wants a child but can't and she finds this baby in the marshes and takes her home and raises her and nobody knows where she comes from and because of that she is ostracized in the village she is um you know considered other until she finds out you know what her true origins are um and then she's able to find some some peace in that in being who she is but at the times when she didn't know when each time she will be rejected there was this little song that she would sing and it's a short one i will read it and then maybe we'll read a longer poem but um i love this story in particular because at the end of the story she she doesn't you know it's not that happily ever after where she she gets back at the people who you know treated her poorly it is a realization she comes into that you know her life is good she has parents who love her and even in the midst of the people in their village not being sure how to treat her because they don't know how she came to be she still had people who care about her and even though this poem is is her an expression of her frustration an expression of her anger she had she had ways to to navigate and she had ways to be with it all so in the story she is of the mapine and the mapine the word mapine is from the language of my people in Cameroon Chufie and it loosely translates to mothers of all things mm. and so um in the story Shepi is a child of the mapine who offer her as a gift to her mother because her mother can't have a child but um she's a dedicated you know follower of the mapine and she takes care of all children, even though she doesn't have. So Sheppy sings to the Mapine. She says, Mapine, giver of all children. Mother says, you don't give bad gifts. So why am I the pile of yams that no one wants to touch? Oh. Mapine, giver of all children. Mother says, you don't give bad gifts. Why am I the fruit tree no one wants to climb? And it's a song of desolation, you know, and there is no other song in the story which there is no victory song. You know, <laughs> there is no there is no happy song that she sings in the end. Um, there is just the realization that even with what she doesn't have, she still has a lot. Ooh. So Talk about a story for our times. <laughs> Talk about a story for our times. Talk about a story for our times. Um, that being said, maybe we should move on to something more fun. And this was one of my favorites because um, I first told this, well, I first offered this poem on Twitter. It was a, so in, in the mythology and folklore community on Twitter, there are different days. Um, so each day of the week has a theme curated by different people and they're totally random. So on this day, the theme was teeth, you know, the teeth in your mouth. 
and you're supposed to share a story, a myth, something from whichever mythological area or culture you work with that has to do with teeth. Oh. And so I found this, this hilarious um, folktale from the Venda people. The Venda people are found in Southern Africa, mostly in um, South Africa and Zimbabwe. And it's the, the title of the story is The Beautiful Girl Who Had No, no Teeth. Mm. So I, I retold this as a poem. And I think I'm going to read the whole thing. Please read the whole thing. But we, we can definitely get through it. So The Pretty Girl Who Had No Teeth, a poetic retelling of Avenda Folkville. Old Tikhasali sons were three, who roamed their homestead wild and free. Mm. But one day to them he said, it's high time you lot were wed. But there was no cause to worry. He had a plan, old Tikhasali. He'd been waiting all his life to pair his precious sons with wives. To the eldest son, he said, I know the one who you will marry, a girl of unparalleled beauty. She cooks, she cleans, she's strong, not lean, and the right age from what I gleaned. This is what you have to do if you have a girl to woo. To her homestead, you must go so that you can make her know. Take some gifts, not one or two. Take some healthy cattle too. Leave as soon as tomorrow. Leave with haste, do not go slow. The elders did as he was told, for he knew though he was old, his dear father sure could see what was best for their family. And when he got to the homestead and saw the girl he meant to wed, he was very glad to see that she was pretty as could be. And when his plan her parents heard, they were simply delighted. Yes, of course we will agree to have her join your family. Happy, proud, and feeling great, the young man told his bride, why wait? Let us return right away to the place where we shall stay. They took off at dawn's first light, just as morning birds took flight. As they watched their fluttering wings, the bride-to-be began to sing. But her song was strained and sad, despite the lovely voice she had. So, with his troubled heart mass, the eldest turned to her and asked, what is it this song you sing, which such heaviness should bring? Such sad notes, such dire tone, makes my heart feel like a stone. It's only right, was her reply, that my song might make one cry. It tells the woe that I come with, which is that I have no teeth. The eldest laughed and then he frowned at the news the girl announced. Then he decided to look, just in case this was no joke. Open your mouth and let me see, for this surely can't be. But when he looked, he saw the truth. Two black lumps, not a single tooth. With widened eyes and pounding heart, the young man jumped back with a shout. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear me, what we planned is not to be. There is no way I could possibly take you to my family. There is nothing left for us to do. Back to your people, you must go. And after seeing her return and taking back his gifts in turn, the elders came home with head bent and sought his father out to vent. That girl you would have me marry, ill luck the poor thing does carry. For all the promise she comes with, 
fades when you see she has no teeth. The second son was not deterred, for he thought his brother erred. I'll go myself and see if she might be the wife for me. Her beauty is hard to resist. Go with gifts if you insist. This is what his father said as he gave his go ahead. When he arrived with gift bags filled, the girl's parents were simply thrilled. Confident he would succeed, they very readily agreed. And what's more, the girl said yes. She even wore her best dress and followed meekly as he led, walking towards her new homestead. But you must know, just as before, the pretty girl had more in store. As silently they walked along, she once again broke out in song. The young man listened and was pleased, but with sorrow his heart was seized. For while he knew not what she sang, it had a melancholy twang. What is this song that you sing, with which so much grief doth ring? What has it to do with such a pretty girl as you? Everything was her reply, and since you, since I know you'll ask me why, my secret I must now forfeit. It is that I have no teeth. Thinking of his brother's, of his brother's plight, wondering if he had been right, the young man asked if he could see. They made a stop under a tree. And so it was that once again, the Katali son had worked in vain, for he saw her claim was true. There was nothing he could do. Such a pity was all he said when he returned to their homestead. The pretty girl opens her mouth and the sun sets in the south. Now it seemed that there would be no chance for the Katali and the one hope he'd had in life, to have this girl as a son's wife. So he was just pleased as can be when he turned around to see his third son coming to him, with eyes aglow with mischief's gleam. But this son, though he was young, had a heart with wisdom strong, and even with a brilliant mind, he was always warm and kind. We both know something is wrong, not with the girl, but with her song, so let me take my turn and try to find the reason why. And so he left his journey blessed by his father who confessed that he also was convinced that there was more than was evinced. With faith that he would come out on top, the third son walked and didn't stop. So he arrived at sunrise to the family's surprise. Surely he too has not come just to return where he is from without the thing he came to seek. Well, let us hear what he will speak. Let us hear of what he will speak. But the thing they couldn't know was that the young man didn't follow the rules and customs that should be. So he had to make them see. Before their astonished eyes and gently murmured wise, the third son found himself a seat and called the girl with him to sit. First he asked her how she fared, then joked on how he had come prepared. And soon enough she was at ease, laughing as she took the tease. And when he asked her if she wished to see it properly finished, the business that had brought him there, or who were there worst done to hear, the girl with her own mouth declare that the young man to her was dear and that she wanted nothing more.
than to be his forevermore. And so it was decided and her parents were so excited and the couple didn't want to wait. They left before it got too late. They left as the sun found the west, as evening birds called out for rest. And their journey was made faster by happy and playful banter. But when they stopped to get some rest, the pretty girl started her test. With lilting voice and sad, sad sound, she sang her fell song clear and loud. And though knowing not a word she said, the young man questioned, enchanted. Tell me why a pretty girl sings such songs which sadness rolls. Oh, this is how it must be. For the song, it speaks of me and the great load that I bear, a secret which I now must share. You may not see it while I spit, but I swear it is no trick. Right where I should have my teeth, I have black lumps, soft as pith. Oh, you mean those little things? Don't you worry, my poor darling. I saw them when first you spoke. I know my brothers didn't joke. It doesn't change a thing for me. Your smile is still sweet as can be. Come now, let us be on our way. We don't want to waste a day. And so they continued their walk. And though she watched, he didn't sulk. Now confident his love was strong, he once again returned to song. She sang of a kind-hearted man, the one who stayed when others ran. A happy twinkle in his eye, a sweetheart brushed aside her lie. He very well could understand. And so sweet was her harmony. They both danced to the melody. Soon they reached an ice cold stream and stopped to drink and maybe swim. But as they stood in its center, the young man suddenly grabbed her. And when her mouth opened wide to scream, he dipped her down into the stream while using up his other free hand to gather up soft river sand. And right into her mouth it went. And even though she was hell bent to free herself from his tight grip, a camouflage began to slip. He watched with a satisfied grin as her teeth became more clean. And soon he saw them as he thought, straight and white, just as they ought. Oh, please don't be angry. There is cause for my duplicity. I decided that I must wed a man who thinks using his head. And so I had to verify every suitor who came by, which makes me happy I could find a man like you who's good and kind. And this is how Tikatali achieved his great goal finally. The third son and the girl were wed, which brought much joy to the homestead. What of the brothers, you might wonder? Well, first their eyes grew dark with thunder, which quickly became peals of laughter. Ah, I, that is delightful. Um, and I'm reminded as you read of Gwendolyn Brooks, I find myself moving in the rhythm of your poetry. Um, why don't men believe women when they say things? <laughs> Wow. Well, in this, in this case, you had two men who 
believed, but in the wrong direction, you know, and you had the one man who, who believed, but, you know, had a few questions and Which is, proceeded oh. to verify and, you know, yeah. What a beautiful twist. <laughs> I loved the story when I read it. I love the story when I read it because she, she, she strikes me as this mischievous character, you know, who was determined to, to do things in her own way and, you know, make sure that she was giving herself to someone who you know, would be able to look past appearances, which is a theme that will show up in folklore, you know, from different parts of the world, as it should, because mm -hmm. there is a, when, when, when your value as a person has to do with what family you're attached to, or your beauty, or your ability to bear children, um, you, you want to make sure that if you have no other choice but to find yourself in a certain position, then you, you, you make it the best possible position you could find yourself in. And she found the most ingenious way <laughs> to go about that. The most ingenious way to go about that. And in her case, it turns out, okay, we have another story in the book of a woman who equally tests her seeker and then it ends in tragedy. So, Oh, what balance. Yes, you balance. mentioned. Before you started reading, you mentioned that you've div divided it into a section of prose and a section of poetry. And I, I'm so curious about that. Um, can you talk a little bit about that choice to, to divide it into the sections versus kind of layer them and weave them? How, how did you put them to put the stories together? What, how do you organize this? Well, there, there were some stories which, um, well, this one, for example, it's it's written as a folk tale, but I initially told it as a poem, so I decided to go with that. Um, there were there is one other story which, um, well, I think it back. There is one other poem which is not so much a story as it is a collection of stories about multiple women, and so I I I couldn't write it's what almost five different women and I couldn't write stories for each of them. So it I compressed those into you know stanzas telling each of their stories. But it was I, I think honestly this is um homage to my mother, really, because as as a teacher she taught both poor prose and poetry and that is how stories have always come to me in in you know long form writing in, in poems and that's the natural direction in which my 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 mm -hmm. writing goes so it it wasn't really a conscious conscious effort it was just how the stories came up just how the stories came up mm. i like i love i uh that you leaned into that intuitive force of organization and let it let it let the form follow the function, as it were, um, as, as it were. Fiasco would say. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to read this book. And thank you. I just want to say thank you for bringing it into the world and sharing sharing that poem. My pleasure. Um, as we as as we're coming to the the end of our time together today, um, what's news? What's the news in your world? Oh my, what's the news? Uh, I am utterly sick of cold weather and I am ready for 
for summer summer to get here <laughs> mm. which i'm sure is a is a pain you have a complicated relationship with living in arizona of all places um but outside outside of that um i am really looking forward to to the year um the different projects i have going on with mythological africans um the, the explorations i was just on twitter this past weekend talking with people trying to get a sense of the different topics that they want to hear more about so i'm very very looking much looking forward to that um my book of poetry which i'm hoping to to have out in the world in the near future as well as a couple of other projects which are germinating which are cooking as i would say so yeah but really really just looking forward to summer like cannot cannot wait cannot wait I have dreamed of that sun. <laughs> so mm. that sweet summer sun. It's not it's enough to have the summer in here. It's gotta be yeah. out here too. Right, right, absolutely. Today is the first day here where it hasn't gotten colder than 50 degrees at night and it's like sunny and it's in the seventies and it's starting oh. to, things are green and flowering again. And I just felt, I woke up this morning and something just felt different. Like I felt more awake and I, more excited. <laughs> I am so jealous. I am so jealous. And I think I feel it um, a bit more because where my apartment is positioned, we get more evening sun than morning sun. So most of my day is, you know, cool and shadowed and, you know, and then later in the day, the sun comes in and it's nice. And if I go outside, the sun's out and it's warm and everything, but because I'm in the house, it's cooler and I just, my mind, I can't handle this. <laughs> so. And we're not, we're still in that time of not a great deal of daylight. So by the mm -hmm. evening sun, when it gets around to your windows, it's kind of, kind of right. tired. It's, it's, yeah, it's a little exhausted. So yeah, but you know, it's, it's a cycle of things. Um, I, I was uh, reading a poem the other day where it talked about, you know, um, trees and you might be familiar with this trees having that intuitive knowledge of knowing when to let things go and mm. trusting that you know the, the sunlight will return at optimum levels where they will be able to push up new leaves only to let them go again so um letting myself or trying to let myself fall into the cycle of things and you know, do things as as, as they're showing up so but I will insist I need summer to get here really fast. I just, I, I, I love the heat. I love the waves of it, the thickness of it, even the dryness of it sometimes, you know, it's definitely, <laughs> I'll pick that over the dryness of cold, so. Here's mm -hmm. to embodying the lessons of the trees until the warm sun graces us again. Um, Helen, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for joining me. Um, before we go, where where can people find you? I know you're on Twitter at Mythological Africans, and I'll put links in the show notes, of course. But where do you like to be found on the World Wide Web? So um, the Twitter, for sure, is where Mythological Africans does most of the activities. But the MythologicalAfricans.com web, uh, website is the one-stop shop, as I like to say, for everything that the platform offers. So it links to the Twitter page. It links to the YouTube channel where I do deep dives every now and then. Well, up until I started working on this book, it was monthly. And there's a lot of good stuff there. So we've done um, a deep dive into the underworlds and other worlds of African mythology and folklore. Mm -hmm. 
there is a whole uh there's two episodes on sun, moon, and star symbolism from different African peoples. Um, we just started a series on uh, sexualities of African people, so an investigation into intersexuality, um, an investigation into heterosexuality. And once this book project is wrapped up, then we'll pick that up again with an investigation into gay culture, into lesbian culture, into transgender culture. Um, there is a reading of the myth of the Bagar, which is a, a, a myth cycle from the Dagara people, and the Dagara found in Burkina Faso mainly. Um, and I think it's one of the most important stories out there that come from the African continent because it's just so rich. And um, so I do a reading of the myth, and it's across three episodes or so. So there's a YouTube channel. There is also um, uh, the blog on Medium where I do more long form writing about different topics that will come up. And just yesterday, I published a piece about uh, neck rings in you know African culture as an adornment, how it has evolved over time and where it still exists and how it has changed. So, but there is also a piece on there about divination, um, food culture. And for now, a lot of the writing focuses on Cameroon because it's coming out of a project that I was working on. But there is a diversity of, of topics that are still explored on the blog. Um, there is also a link to the merchandise store for my book, The Runaway Princess, because um, the art is beautiful and I wanted to make it available in other ways. So you could get a mug, a character mug or a book bag or you know, a hoodie. And what um, I want to emphasize is that 20% of proceeds from these purchases go to a project which I love very much. And it's through a Cameroonian foundation called Mendem Foundation. And um, one of their projects is a, it's called the Period Poverty Project. And what they do is they supply um, uh, washable pads, washable sanitary pads to girls in schools across the country. And um, this is a, a, a project and effort to make menstruation, to normalize it, to make sure people know what they are working with, to make sure young girls have resources available to them. And so um, with, with uh, I believe, $25, you can equip a girl with you know, a, a stack of washable pads and a little book called My First Period, which talks about you know, menstruation and all of that. And this is, this, these washable pads can supply her for up to two years. So 20% of all purchases from that store go to this project. And on the website, you can also um, do a research request. And this is if you're doing work on the African continent in mythology, folklore, culture, anything like that. Um, you can submit a request. It's a paid service. So, but I will, you know, dig into the available literature for you, check references, biases, and just make sure that you are getting the best contextualized information that's available out there. All of that you can get to from the Mythological Africans website. Ooh. What an incredible service and and activism that is that is encompassed in this project. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's an honor and, and quite the pleasure. All right. Uh, Helen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you and, for having um, me. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> and I hope to I hope to do another episode to talk about your book of poems when it comes out. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. In the near future. It's, it's going to be a fun one for sure. <laughs>